Hey, family. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. We work incredibly hard to identify guests who will help you move forward on your healing journey. So if you are blessed by today's episode, I would love for you to take a moment to subscribe and leave a five-star review. This will help us to reach more people and get this important message of healing out to the world. Thank you in advance for your support and enjoy today's episode. family. It's your sister Jocelyn here and welcome to another episode of Faith on the Journey. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, we welcome you. We are so excited that you are here and we are committed to helping you strengthen your faith, heal your heart, and discover a sense of community. First, we offer trauma healing groups, which are essentially Bible studies to help you to heal from the traumas that you experienced in life. We also have a team of Christian counselors who are ready to walk alongside of you to help you to process, to mend those wounds from your past. And we do it through a Christ-centered lens. But I also love to bring to you amazing guests week after week for this show who talk about their experiences, some of the challenges that they've gone through in life, the painful events, and how God was able to heal and redeem and restore them. And so I'm extremely excited today to have an amazing guest on the show, Dr. Shaniqua Jones, who has done extensive work in the heal of restorative justice, which is a healing technique for people and for groups, churches, organizations. She has her doctorate degree in inter- interdisciplinary leadership with a specialization in higher education, which she earned in 2016. She also has a global platform, and she is the founder of The Purple Path, in Jones Academy of Excellence. She works with students, parents, guardians, educators, organizations with the understanding of how she can utilize restorative justice as a practice to help people to heal, grow, and move forward. So I'm super excited to have her on the show today. Thank you so much, Dr. Jones, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, Good good day, everyone. Good day to you, Reverend. Um, How are you feeling today? I'm doing good. Life. I have life, so I'm feeling great. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So before we get into the amazing work that you're doing, I want to spend some time focusing on your story. So let's let's start from the beginning. What was life like for you growing up? Um, at the in reflection, so there's two sides. Of course, growing up, I felt I had a humble beginning because I was able to normalize the way I grew up, going to church, being a preacher's kid. Um, being the youngest of four children and the only daughter. And I quickly learned by the age of 15 how unorthodox I may have been seen as or how I may have been noted as an anomaly because I was always told that as long as I was in a congregation, there was this level of respect that did not allow me to ask questions when I felt like I needed to garner a more deeper understanding of who God is and how he operates especially knowing that I'm a visual learner. The other thing is that, you know, the confusion that came along was because in one environment, I'm told, the church environment, I'm told to not question authority, not to question God. But then in the school setting, I'm told that if there's a certain situation where a teacher asks a question and I need a better understanding to raise my hand and ask questions. And so there was always this this heightened level of confusion and curiosity tied into into one that's somewhat led me down a road of of 
get into redemption. And what I mean by that is, is that even though I may have felt as though I had a humble beginning, that by the time I got to the age of 15, it's like this light went off. <laughs> it went from a shining light to dim and darkness where I allowed the world to consume me and not me to overtake the world by, by the word of God. And so living a life that warranted a lot of different circumstances that I could control and just the opposite in terms of situations that I could not control and circumstances that I had no control of whatsoever from um, an incident that occurred when I was about 15 um, where I fell on some ice and when I went to get up, my left ankle partially detached from my left leg. And that was one of the very first traumatic experiences that I had to encounter. And, you know, of course, being a 41-year-old woman now and doing the work that I've been doing for about 12 years, when I think about trauma, I'm pretty sure I wasn't the only person that felt that trauma was this egregious circumstance or a heinous situation that was isolated and it has not allowed you to live. You're still in survival mode from that one situation. And realizing now that trauma comes in many different forms, whether it's historical trauma, whether it's generational trauma, or whether it's vicarious trauma, which is that one isolated incident, is to know that you can't define trauma in this one size fit all by this one size fit all approach. And so even though, again, me saying I had a humble beginning, you know, having that foundation of going to church six, seven days a week, uh, born and raised Church of God in Christ, um, Northern Illinois jurisdiction in the, in the city of Chicago, it is important to know that it still came back full circle because now here I am able to use the foundation that I walked away from at the age of 15. But here I am 26 years later thriving because that foundation stayed with me, even in some of the most traumatic situations in my life from that incident where I was in so much pain. I thought I was going to, they thought they were going to have to amputate my left ankle and I'm 15 years old. And that level of pain was so excruciating that it took a mental toll to the extent where I developed bipolar depression that led on to um, depression in terms of pregnancy. We talk about postpartum depression, but because I was raised in a household that it was either God or nothing, I never had the tools and the resources and the skills to even learn how to articulate what I was feeling in them in those moments where I felt depleted or was depressed. And so, you know, going from that traumatic situation to teen pregnancy and having to walk away from my church home, which was like my second home due to church ostracism, um, feeling like I was the leper because of the pedestal that I was put on being a preacher's kid. And so getting pregnant at a young age and not married. So of course having children out of wedlock, the idea of having uh, sex outside of marriage, of course is a sin. And so we could talk about all the sins. Like we had a, <laughs> a, a running to-do list of things that I did that was sinful, um, pre prevented me from being able to thrive or even be humanized in a situation where I knew if we're talking about the same God, God can forgive me and God will forgive you. A man will still dehumanize you. And so I'm just thankful that even in that situation, getting pregnant at the age of 17, then 19, and then um, dealing with a situation where I, I felt as if I didn't want to live and whether that was a sense of not wanting to live or just being able to take a pause that 
I just finished having a conversation that there are times even as an adult, we want to take a pause on certain situations that are happening in our lives and in our life because it's not it's too taxing or it's too overwhelming. But what we fail to realize is that we don't have the ability to make proper provisions in our lives that while we're taking a pause, we have to understand that we're taking a pause, but the world is still rotating. The world is still moving forward with or without you. And so what may have garnered the idea of you going into the of need to have a pause, you come out of that pause and you're even more overwhelmed because we didn't make those proper provisions to allow us to take a break. And so me wanting to take that pause or take that break, or even to the extent of saying, I don't want to live anymore because um, self-disappointment is worse than any other type of disappointment. It's one thing when your parents are disappointed in you, the church are disappointed in you, or other authoritative figures that were very influential in your life are disappointed, but it's one thing for them to be disappointed. But when you're disappointed in yourself, I think there's a deeper level of pain and trauma. And so going from that to... Um, the brokenness of relationships, the lack of love that I did, you know, the lack of love I had for myself, not tapping into self-love, self-preservation, um, and other forms of self and soul care allowed the enemy to continue to perpetuate violence and trauma in my life in many different forms, whether that was poverty in terms of financial poverty, in terms of resources, the lack thereof, or um, the lack of motivation, the lack of mental health well or mental overall well-being, and then also get into toxic relationships. My pain mat matching someone else's pain, and the pain is what connects us, and the pain is what's keeping us, and so we're not able to heal because my toxicity, along with your toxicity, or my dysfunctionality, along with your dysfunctionality, is creating more dysfunctional situations, and we're creating dysfunctional children because we're not equipped with the right set of tools that are needed to raise children. And so here it is, you know, I'm, I'm, I get pregnant with my third child and I get pregnant by an individual that by, by the sight, he looked amazing, but his soul was tainted. My soul was tainted. I'm in pain. He's in pain and not being able to come out on the other side. And so being able to just hold myself accountable to that particular situation is that I, I had no business being in a relationship. And of course, we, you know, we hear the saying all the time, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places. And most times when we try to find a resource or a tangible idea of what looking for love in all the right places look like, we still miss the mark because we're not looking to God, we're looking for self. And so now we're trying to control our own destiny and our own fate. And that's exactly where I was in my life. And it wasn't until I turned 26 while I was laying there, uh, <laughs> I had been in labor for about three to four days. I'm in the process of losing my life. And the, my unborn child was in the process of losing her life. And at the time, of course, I didn't know the gender until, until of course, I had the child. And due to the circumstances at hand, I was alone giving birth. And I, I realized that I went from being able to talk to not being able to comprehend and not being able to communicate and knowing those two things alone sent me into a frenzy and I ended up having an emergency C-section. And in the process of going through the formalities and reaching out to my mom, who was my emergency contact at that time, saying on the phone that even though I'm not physically there, if my child is to lose her life, can I at least stay on the phone so I can hear her take her last breath? And that set the tone for me praying that even though I have pretty much put God in my back pocket 
and only pull God out as a, a Uno card per se, like the draw four card that ends the game. That that was the only time I used God. I picked them up and put them down when I got ready, especially in situations that I felt like I could I had no other answer. And in that moment, as much as I knew every scripture. I could quote scriptures. I knew the sinner's prayer. I couldn't get it together. I was mixing scriptures with the prayer. I was mixing prayers with the scriptures. I, it had a hood message to it. It was just chaotic because I couldn't think straight. I was panicking. And again, you know, I'm, I'm losing my life. And so I just simply said, God, save me from myself. Don't save me from um, other individuals who may have played a part into my demise. Don't, you know, don't allow me to survive, allow me to live, allow me to thrive, allow me to be responsible, allow me to take care of my own children, allow me to be the truth that I need to be and model the way and become the woman that you want me to be and allow me to walk into my destiny. And so from that day forward, it's still, I've still had my challenges. I still have my share of downs as well as my, my, my uh, valleys and my mountaintop moments. But overall, I'm just thankful that God has continued to, to bless me and keep me through all those situations from rape, sexual assault, um, poverty, homelessness, cervical cancer. I mean, if you if you can name the cause, I pretty much can wear a ribbon for it. Wow. I, I think if I were to try to summarize all of what you said, the one word that comes to mind is survivor, uh, because you survived so much. Uh, some things in which could have took many people out. Um, and so I'm um, thank God for his grace and for keeping you through all the events in your life, because uh, I'm not going to get ahead of myself because what God is doing now in your life is a true testimony. Uh, and so people stay tuned. You'll hear more about what God is doing through you right now. But I want to talk about the in-between uh, because mm -hmm. you talked about the beginning. I know what God is doing in your life now, but there was work that had to be done once you cried out to God. Uh, and so I want to spend some time talking about your healing path. Uh, mm -hmm. What did that look like? Because God knows his children. I've always thrived in an educational setting. And the, one of the main reasons is because I wasn't seen as the broken girl. I wasn't seen as the failure. I wasn't seen as the girl who had two, three, four, five children, and all the other things that we could think of in terms of how we may have conjured up the idea of how people see us, mainly because that's how we see ourselves. And so because I thrived in a classroom, he allowed me to see what it was like if I stayed the course. And so being seen as a high academic scholar, being, you know, not just being seen, but being acknowledged and being able to leave my hometown and be exposed to other things outside of Harvey, outside of the church, outside of, you know, my, my current circumstances and the environment in which I lived in and being able to explore the idea that I offer more and I, I shortchange myself if I continue to live or survive. I don't want to survive. I want to live. And so he has allowed, he paved the way for me to see what living was like by using my education to set the tone for, because of me being an educational, uh, high academic scholar, I was afforded opportunities to go to Boston. I was afforded opportunities to go to other states and attend different conferences and be, uh, be amongst the other educational leaders that not only did I get a chance to have a seat at the table, I was able to implement and execute different processes and be, and be seen and acknowledged for that and be awarded. And once I got a sense of, 
you know, like, okay, I got these babies, but I'm not going to continue to allow my past to be the, the, the thing that it becomes the barrier from where I am to where I'm going. And then I also had to go to therapy. It was okay for me to say, okay, I need help. Not just help in the sense of my spiritual journey, but help in my natural journey. And it's okay to lay on the altar and lay on someone's couch simultaneously. And once I was able to do that and realize that I had to walk away from the idea, especially I want to say at least six years ago when I got my doctorate degree, walk away from the idea that I don't work anymore. I'm on assignment and wherever God leads me is where I go. And when the assignment is done, I don't stay a day past the expiration date because I'll do myself and the people I'm supposed to serve, which are God's people, a disservice. And so because of all these different things that he's helped pave the way for and me, uh, me stepping out, getting out of my own way and allowing God to have his way in my life, even when I defy it at times, <laughs> you know, and even when it makes me uncomfortable or the uncertainty of it all, like you say, do what now and how? And being able to do that really just set the tone for this healing journey. And that knowing that this healing journey is not something you just pick up and put down like I did with God years ago, but this healing journey is everlasting as long as I live. And even in terms of my legacy, when I'm no longer here on this earth, is preparing other leaders to be able to model the way by knowing that it's okay to heal. We don't have to stay in the place that we were in. The part of wants to put you back together again, which goes to the song that I, I remember growing up. And the other thing is too, that he just allowed to meet me where I was at in my life. And I knew that if I stayed the course, I would be well on my way. And so that healing journey looked like my, similar to my educational journey, that everything I did focused on restoration, even before I knew what restorative justice really was in terms of a theoretical framework, I knew what it was from a life application perspective. And so getting my bachelor's degree, my master's degree and my doctoral degree in five and a half years is somewhat unheard of. But it's only unheard of because we think of it from a natural sense. But if I look at it because of God and from a spiritual perspective, there's nothing, you know, that God can't do. And that's been part of my healing journey is my educational journey, along with my spiritual journey and um, maintaining my mental health. That's incredible. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, you're right. You did that in no time flat. <laughs> so and I know it wasn't easy. And I, I want you to spend a little bit of time talking about whether it was naysayers ex externally who might've been in your ear about what you could and could not do or your internal voice. Was that a battle for you? Yeah, it was a combination of both. I believed everything people said. When things were great, I believed it. When, uh, when I turned 15 and started to become like the rebel, then that's when it became challenging. And so I started to believe that I was the, the baddest chick on the block. I started to believe that I was untouchable. I started to believe that um, I didn't need God, that not even not even really understanding I was worshiping the devil because that's exactly what it was, whether we want to believe it or not, because being born and raised in the church, they made it seem as if worshiping the devil meant that you wore all black and it was like uh, <laughs> you were a demon and the way you looked and the way you walked and the way you talked was so significant in terms of toxicity that I didn't, I didn't see that. But now that when you, you know, you, if you really learn to live and use the power of reflection, it wasn't just about what 
others were saying about me, like, oh, she didn't have these kids. It's impossible. She's not going to be able to do this. She's not going to be able to do that. She can't go back to school. Like, it's impossible for her to come out of that. Remember, she tried to take her life. Oh, my God, you heard that Shaniqua was raped or Kwakwa, whatever the name, the neighborhood name, the church name, the family name. We all know that we all have nicknames that's somewhat conducive to meet the needs of who you were or where you were in that particular time in your life, especially if you're talking about different environments that differentiate, like, in, in its full capacity. And so it was the, the devil playing tricks on me, you know, in terms of trying to take my mind or um, if things, if I had two bad days in a row, then obviously, okay, I don't want to, I'm not going to do this anymore. Maybe it's not meant for me to live. Maybe it's not meant for me to thrive. Maybe I am my own demise. Maybe I, maybe I am a failure. Maybe all the things that you could think of in terms of going through what you're going through or victim blaming. It's one thing when we think about victim blaming in terms of sexual assault, that's usually where you see victim blaming where they said, you know, where you have situations like, well, why did you wear what you wear? If you knew you were going to meet up with this person and you knew what they were looking for, why put yourself in that predicament? And so it's almost like that internal interrogation that I was experiencing that I became my own my own uh, worst enemy. And so when you think about victim blaming, it's not just about victim blaming in terms of what other people say about you to justify the actions of someone who have harmed you. But more importantly, what is the thought process? What are the actions? What are the behaviors that allow you to think that it's okay to blame yourself? I mean, I, we want to hold ourselves accountable, but we don't want to justify the actions of others who had the ability to not harm you, but harms you anyway. And too many times for me, I, I carried that burden for so many years that everything that happened to me was because of decisions I made that I could control. And when you learn, the only thing you can control is yourself. And so going through therapy, learning the tools that I needed to use to start speaking life to my own circumstances, not to say that I'm justifying the actions of others, but I'm speaking my truth, my truth to life so that I can live. Because as long as I bury and suppress the pain, I'm not living, I'm surviving. That's it, right? And we're not called to just survive. We are called to live an abundant life that God wants to give to us. And when you were saying something just a moment ago, I wanted to point out, it reminded me of something I was told by my counselor that we we cannot take on someone else's sin. We can't take the blame for someone's sin against us. And I think a lot of times this happens. I've seen this several times when counseling sexual violence survivors or domestic violence, uh, violence survivors where they say, well, it's my fault if I didn't make them upset or if I didn't go to this party or if I didn't do whatever, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. We're taking responsibility for someone else's sin against us. And that is absolutely a strategy of the enemy to try to condemn us, to try to keep us bonded. And so anyone who's hearing this right now, I need you to reject that lie in the name of Jesus right now. Amen. Yes, yes, most definitely. Yeah. And I agree. And you know, and there's times when, you know, I, I want to get to a place where people are comfortable enough to normalize therapy. And what I've seen, especially in the midst of the pandemic, is that the isolation or the uncertainty of what we're experiencing in our world, and, and then if we have to break it down, like whether it's from a macro level, from a micro level, it's uncertainty all around us. There, there are no clear indications of what the next move is, because the moment you think we're over the pandemic, 
uh, then here it is, you know, we take 10 steps forward and 15 steps back and then you get the variant. Then it's like, we're back to wearing masks and we don't have to wear the mask or we lost people. And because the way we lost people in the beginning of, of the onset of the pandemic and not being able to grieve properly because part of the grieving process for most people was being able to see you in your coffin, be able to see, you know, be able to witness the fact that the reality is that you're really not here anymore. And because of the pandemic and having to move to a virtual setting or not even having that opportunity to say your final goodbyes has really set the tone for people to say, like, I got to get serious about my life. And it's unfortunate we live in a world of uh, being, you know, taking a reactive approach to uh, coming out on the other side. But one of the things I could say, we talk about so many issues and inadequacies and equities in, in our environments, uh, whether it's in our home or in our communities or on a broader scale in terms of our nation and our world, is that one of the positive things I could say is that this has been one of the most rewarding experiences of my life, even in some of the challenges that I've had. And it's because I've been able to write more. I've been able to journal more. I've been able to reflect more. I've been able to spend more time with my family because many of us are working from home or I even took the leap of faith in the last uh, week or two and walked away from my full-time assignment because God is calling me to greater. And what I loved about that is, is that had this pandemic not happened, I would still be bound to a system that perpetuates violence that even though i may be a i may be a part of the solution i can't be the only solution and i can't be the only form of light that this institution has and so god dealing and working with me to really be the woman he has called me to be to be able to to walk away from circumstances that I'm no longer able to serve in the capacity that God see fit and do it confidently, even in the uncertainty, is that that level of faith, that level of truth, that level of authenticity, that level of transparency, me being able to see my children every day and not just see them because we live in the same household, but be, be able to have in-depth conversations about where they are in their life and their journey and how I can support them and how the power of storytelling me as their mother I think the greatest thing a mother can do is tell her own story to her own children and not have to hear it second or third hand and being able to foster a more meaningful relationship with my husband and really hone in on what it is that we need. And then the, the, the hugest thing for me is that God gave me, at first when I started to explain it, people were like, wait a minute, because you're not God. No, 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 no. I'm not God. I'm one of God's children, though. And he gave this to me. He said, in the midst of what you've experienced, one thing I have shown you is that you no longer have to be uh, this one person. But in your lifetime, you'll be three people. You'll be the broken girl that you were. And because of that, you've always you used to make decisions, life changing, life altering decisions based on the brokenness in you, which mean it's, it's negatively changing your life, changing the trajectory of life. I, you're no longer her. So that one person is that broken 15 year old girl you were. The second person is the, the young lady you are. And then the third person is the woman you're becoming. And there should never be a moment in time where what you where you are right now reflects where you were. That means you're stagnant or you're reverting back to old ways. And I need you to check yourself quickly rather than waiting too far down the road, especially if I've given you the tools you need and, and the resources that are needed so you can articulate that message very clear and take proper action quickly. So I'm, I'm, that's what I'm thankful for in this season of my life.
man, I was like taking notes in the background. <laughs> that was good. And I, I feel like sometimes it's so hard for us to see ourselves beyond that broken little girl or little boy or whatever we experience, we get stuck there. And so there was some rewiring of narrative that took place. God had to transform how you saw yourself so that you didn't stay in that place. Love yes. that. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, I wanted to revisit one part of your story because I've talked to many people who have found themselves stuck in terms of their growth and relationship with God due to church hurt. And I gathered that there was a lot of church hurt in your story based on what you shared. Now, I know we just got the cliff note version, but I want to mm -hmm. focus on what did you do to heal from the church hurt that you experienced? Oh, that that's a loaded question, right? Because uh, to give you like to kind of break that down um, as a preacher's kid, it wasn't that my father was the minister. Like, and I want to say that, too, because most times when I say preacher's kid, I don't give the gender. And what happens is most people gravitate and say, oh, so your dad. No, it wasn't my dad. It was my mom who was called to the ministry and she was called to the pulpit. And if we know anything about the historical context of the doctrine in many in many religions is that women can be part of the congregation and be very instrumental in terms of service. But in many doctrines and many religious backgrounds, it's said that women are called to minister in terms of being in the pulpit. So that was one of the challenges that I saw that my mom experienced going from Baptist to Church of God in Christ. And so going from Baptist to Church of God in Christ and starting off as a missionary and then going into being into evangelism was um, a rewarding experience that I saw in terms of my mom's spiritual growth. At the same time, because she's now part of the, the main form of leadership in this congregation, all eyes are on the children as well. And it's unfortunate that <laughs> now that I'm a parent, I may not be a minister, but I have a, a platform, a global platform that the same experiences that I had with my mother, even though it may have been connected to church, is the same experiences my children are having, but mine is connected through education and restorative justice. And so now the limelight is on them, but they're still individuals. And so the thing about it was, is that in the church, they couldn't separate the fact that if my mom was whatever role my mom had, I had that too, even if that wasn't my calling. And so being placed on that pedestal set the tone for failure to a certain, certain degree. And when I got pregnant, there were conversations that was had behind closed doors to be forgiven and ask for forgiveness and really help me. But then publicly, I was ousted. I was ostracized and said that, you know, until, you know, whatever time frame, there was no specific date or time that was given. Like, but for the time being, we're going to have to ask you to leave. And so I had made a promise to myself that I would never step foot in another church because what happened was I couldn't separate the message from the messenger. And I started to idolize the fact that God who I now serve was not the God I served in, but it was the man that I served. And so when man disappointed me, I immediately associated that to God disappointing me as well, which did not allow me to thrive spiritually because I was so hurt. I, was, I felt tainted. I was ostracized and traumatized or re-traumatized because if this is supposed to be my place of healing, there's no reason why my place of healing is now my place of pain. And so it wasn't until 
maybe my early 30s where I made the decision I wanted to get back involved because that was the missing piece for my life because I just felt inadequate and I felt like I was there was just something missing. And I joined another congregation. And it's unfortunate that even joining that congregation, I felt like I was on fire. I felt like I was doing everything right. I was participating. I was serving. I was volunteering. Was so I was given so much of my time. But again, there was another form of hurt in the idea of uh, providing a way for these different services to be given to those we're supposed to serve, especially in the midst of when we heard about the water crisis in Flint, Michigan. I was very instrumental in that process. And when they had this big volunteer uh, ceremony or gathering, I, I wasn't invited until after the, you know, until I saw things unfolding on social media. And I say all that to say that, you know, there was some loopholes in terms of communication or whatever the case may be. But I just, that church hurt, like, like just resurfaced. And I said, God, I, I, I'm not mad at anyone, but I, I really want to walk away from religion at this point and just form a relationship with you. And so even though I've always been seen as someone that's unorthodox, always been coined as someone that's an anomaly, I had to reach out recently. This year, I reached out to someone because I prayed to God, like, I want a spiritual advisor, someone that I connect to, someone that I can have that one-on-one with, not therapy, but just be able to hold me accountable and take this take this journey with me as I navigate my spirituality in the sense of honoring God and staying humble and true to myself and not allowing the world to consume me and not allowing the platform to have me in a space where I provided all these things for myself because I've been there before and I lost it all. And I don't want to go through that again. And so I'm asking God to keep me and to, to make sure I stay grounded. I said that prayer and I ended up going to an event that I wasn't going to go to because being around too many people um, in the midst of the pandemic and not knowing who's who, what's what. And I do have, you know, uh, I care for my mom full time and I have a daughter who has a rare autoimmune disease. So I'm very careful about where I go and where, you know, what I can and cannot control because I don't need my people uh, ill because of a decision I made on my part. So needless to say, I, I attend this event the end of February of this year. And when I walk in, get past the vestibule and going through the check-in process and ticketing process and VIP, all that great stuff, because it's good to know that people know who I am. I walk in and it seemed like, God, if you know anything like these virtual backgrounds, you know how they can be blurred. It seemed like everyone else was blurred out. And the only person I could see was this woman that I encountered back in like 2012, 2013. So we're talking about nine, 10 years ago. And I went to a, a women empowerment ceremony or event and it was focused, you know, it had the spiritual component and they prayed. And this lady washed my feet and she spoke life to me in a way that stayed with me. And here it was that even though we were connected through social media and we'd done different things online together, this was my first time seeing her face to face since that day, 10 years ago, nine, 10 years ago. And she was the only person I could see. And that was God's, God's way of answering my prayer. I went to that event. She wasn't even supposed to be there. And for us to encounter was not coincidence. It was divine, divine order. And so being able to see her and I said, you just answered a prayer. And she immediately said, I'm all in. And we started to have the conversation and she's now my spiritual advisor. And so when we have our, I, um, since, since August of 20, 
I want to say 2020, we've been doing like bi-weekly prayers. Now it's weekly. As of August of last year, it became weekly. We do Wednesday morning prayer at 7 a.m. Central Standard Time. And I asked her to join. And this morning we had prayer and it was explosive, like a spiritual explosion. And she she's a prophetess as well. And so the way she ministered to each woman, and mind you, the only woman she knew on the call was me. And the way she ministered to each woman spoke to their current circumstances and she just, she allowed God to use her. And that was just another way of saying like, you know what? Thank you, God. Not only am I on this healing journey, this healing journey is not just from a natural perspective. It's also from a spiritual perspective too. And I'm growing and glowing as I go. Amen. That's just a testimony to God answering prayers and knowing what we need. Uh, and I appreciate you just being so real about how that church hurt can resurface uh, and in different ways. And so God knew what you needed by sending her in that moment. So grateful mm -hmm. to hear that. Yes, so let's talk about what you're doing now. <laughs> you're doing some good work. Oh man. So I, like I said, I just resigned from a full-time position where I oversaw discipline for 5,500 children, a one woman show, even though I'm a part of a, a lot, the larger scheme of things in education, in, in the sense of providing alternative options for and equitable opportunities for our students to thrive, especially in the midst of a, a disciplinary infraction, it we need more people who are restorative, more people who are uh, charismatic, compassionate, empathetic, and not just stuck to a traditional way of of or, or idea that continues to perpetuate violence and the poverty community and school to prison pipelines. And so being able to do that, I I just know like I have my own organization. I'm the founder and CEO of Purple Path, which is the path to restoration. And I'm also homeschooling my three youngest daughters to the extent where everything that God has given me to help other families is exactly what I'm using to help my own from curriculum to social emotional learning. Uh, um, opportunities, um, utilizing restorative justice and restorative practices and everything that I do has just been a rewarding experience. So I say that because time, my world's in Purple Path. We do a lot of restorative justice trainings across the world, uh, mostly virtual at this point. And those trainings, you know, focus on what is restorative justice to its core from a foundational perspective to talking about trauma, empathy, compassion, um, COVID-19, social, racial, civil unrest, um, customer service experience in terms of your posture and your tone as it relates to building and fostering relationships that also speaks to building social capital, competencies, and meaningful relationships. Um, doing observations, working with a lot, um, some prominent organizations in terms of workplace trauma and ostracism and what does that look like in terms of adverse childhood experiences like how are we showing up in these different spaces if, if are we showing up as our unhealed selves or are we healed or are we healing and so there's there's ways to differentiate that because it can definitely impact the climate and culture of your environment whatever that environment consists of and so we do i mean we're pretty much like top notch when it comes to restorative justice or the restore the field of restorative justice um the other things that we've been able to do is not just provide trainings but you know creating curriculums for different um institutions or uh, whether that's higher education institutions or even k-12 through and then two um really building out what uh the first online restorative justice high school will look like 
that also specializes in working with first-year GAP students because we all know that this pandemic has taken a toll on everyone. And especially when we think about our youth who, who feel ill-equipped if they already felt ill-equipped before the pandemic, just imagine how ill-equipped they may feel now. So we're working on developing the very first uh, restorative justice online high school that also assists first-year GAP students. So that's what that's what we got going on right now. A lot <laughs> of good stuff you got going on. <laughs> that's yes, exciting. That is great. And I know that people probably want to get in touch with you. So we listed your website and also they can find you on LinkedIn too, um, which is a, a great way to connect. Um, but you are truly an example of what God can do in terms of restoring, renewing, empowering. You have a purpose in your life. And I'm so glad that you are a purpose-driven woman. And so- yes. Do you have any final words that you can say to someone about God's ability to heal? Um, God has a way of showing up in our lives that if we stay focused and stay in tune with him and tune out the, the naysayers, tune out the social media, tune out the rest of the world, we will have the ability to thrive. We all have the ability. You know, they say uh, many are called if you are chosen. And I believe there will be more people who are chosen if they stay close to God's will. And so with that being said, he's just, he gave me a mantra in the midst of me going through this hazing process. Cause that's exactly what it felt like when I was in my doctoral program, a black woman in academia, the black woman in the world period, but just imagine what it's like to get to the highest level of a degree that you can receive here in the U S and I had 12 revisions. And when I think about that, 12 is a number that stayed with me one because of the 12 disciples um, two, when I think about significant places in my life that shaped me into the woman I, I'm, I am, and that just goes to show you how much I really tap into the power of storytelling and reflection is there's 12 specific locations in my life from birth up until um, 2016, those 12 locations. And so 12 is one of my numbers. But in the midst of going through this uh, doctoral program, he gave me a mantra and the mantra is a journey not shared is a soul not healed. And by that, I say that there's no reason why you can't share your story with at least one person. And if any reason you're uncomfortable with sharing your story, that means that there's still a sense of shame and guilt. And I just pray that God continue to work with you so that you can overcome the obstacles of shame and guilt so that you can share your story and do the, uh, the, the work that God has uh, ordained you to do. Amen to that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Jones. You just blessed my soul today. And I'm sure you did for everyone who was listening. So That's I appreciate nice. you being here. I'll be following you, watching you on social media to stay tuned to all the amazing things that God is doing in your life. But I just wish you nothing but the, be the best. And I hope to, to see you again soon. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yes. And I hope you all enjoy today's broadcast. Man, she had such an incredible testimony and you should be encouraged by it. And if you are looking to find other resources to support you on the healing journey of your life, please visit us online by visiting faithonthejourney.org. Again, that is faithonthejourney.org. There you can connect 
with a Christian counselor. As Dr. Jones said, you can be at the altar and on someone's couch at the same time. Is that Those places can exist together. And so we hope that you take her words of advice, continue to follow us. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please be sure to leave a review. Help us to get this word out here and share it with the world. So that is it for this week's broadcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week. But until then, you keep your faith on the journey. I'll see you soon.